Welcome back to Cthulhu Light Show, your one-stop shop for nerd news you've already heard and opinions you don't need. On today's episode, we're going to be discussing Telltale Games and their very strange legacy. Uh, but first, we're going to discuss some news. Uh, I'm Brian. I'm Dakota. And this episode has been one that's been uh, on the on the pipeline, I guess, for a while now. It's something that I'm weirdly passionate about, and I'm, I'm excited to to just scream into a microphone for 45 minutes about this uh, interactive story uh, video game company. A lot more effort went into this episode than the average episode, and uh, Dakota will be taking the lead on this one a lot more than a couple of our previous ones, so I'm excited to see what he's going to bring to the table. Um, so first, we get into that news. This thing is going on called the coronavirus, COVID-19. I think I've heard of that. You probably have heard of that. There are so many news stories every day about how it is changing the world that we have been seriously debating a news-only episode. But we condensed down these four topics, and we're going to start with the fact that AMC Theaters, uh, the largest movie theater chain in the country, possibly the world, I'm not sure, is rumored to be declaring bankruptcy imminently. There was an S&P Global report that said that supposedly AMC Entertainment would have a complete depletion of cash by midsummer and would be potentially unable to reopen by June. They are $5 billion in debt, and they're currently valued at only $327 million. What? So, yeah. Well, a lot of that comes from the fact that they made a lot of risky investments at, like, all the wrong times. Like, you know, they're, they're A-list or whatever they're fucking called. Yeah, the rewards uh, program. Yeah, it's the A-list. So they had to roll out a ton of money for that. They've also been, like, branching out and purchasing other um, theaters to widen their territory and stuff like that. And it just so happened that then COVID-19 hit. Now, I'm reading a, a deadline report here that's claiming that AMC filing for bankruptcy isn't necessarily such a bad thing. Supposedly, they're likely to be deemed in court as critical vendors, uh, which means that they have a specialized skill set, mandatory safety certification, or proprietary product whose discontinuation of service would have a significant negative impact on a debtor's operation. They go on to say, explained in layman's terms, movies from studios are the primary means by which AMC makes money before popcorn or Coca-Cola. I don't Um, believe that. So I don't either, especially with like, Studios like Disney yeah. that take such a massive cut I of all the blockbusters. I do not believe. I, there's something like a crazy, like, 1,100% markup on popcorn or something. Like, concessions, oh, yeah. well, are, concessions are, for at least what I know, is all, it's all the money that, uh, that movie theaters make. Well, the, the reason why ticket prices are so high is because they have to be high for theaters to get anything. And the reason why concessions are marked up so insanely high is because... It's the only way they can make anything. And those, like, dine-in movie theaters where you have a meal and it's, like, a whole experience, they're, like, desperately trying to grapple with the fact people don't go see movies as much as they used to and companies like Disney can afford to strong-arm them and ask for larger cuts of ticket sales. So, basically, this article is establishing that while AMC may declare bankruptcy, the ultimate result of this will probably just be that their debt is wiped away and hopefully they can, like, stumble back into the fray i was saying to dakota earlier that uh i would have been a lot more nervous if this had happened outside of the coronavirus because for years disney has been talking about starting their own theater chain presumably to bypass amc altogether i think that might raise some potential monopoly concerns but 
Disney's hemorrhaging cash right now, too, because the theme parks are so insanely expensive to maintain, and they're not getting any business through any of this. So I don't think there's a ton of risk of anybody buying up theaters. I've seen some talk of Netflix possibly doing it, which would be interesting. That'd be very but, interesting. It, it's a really backwards way of, like, getting back into what you first sought out to kind of shake up. Mm-hmm. And uh, just one thing that I wanted to touch on real quick, I read down the article a little bit. AMC has about 200 quote-unquote classic theaters, which were former Carmike Cinemas venues. Uh, yep, we have one of those. Yeah, that's that's what I was going to get at, is that uh, where I used to live and where Brian lives, the only theater in the area, close enough, relatively, is uh, the uh, AMC Classic. Where I live now has a regular AMC theater, so that, that one would be fine. This deadline article says that the... AMC Classic Theaters uh, may be a logistical casualty in the chain's uh, attrition of locations. So they might... I think that's entirely likely. Yeah, they're just, they might straight up just close down all the, the shitty Carmike theaters they bought up. Which, by the way, means that the mall here by me, which is already on its last leg, would just fucking collapse. Oh, yeah. You know? And I'm sure that's true for a lot of these. I'm sure a lot of these, like, old car mics are, are built into malls that are probably floundering themselves. So, uh, this is fascinating. You know, we'll see what happens. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if the it's not quite as deeply affecting as we think it is. I do think it's possible that this whole crisis will completely reevaluate the way we look at Hollywood. Like, plenty of studios have been making good money off of just putting their movies on Amazon for, like, $20. So... Who knows? Yes, yeah, people have been saying for years that streaming is the future, and now that we're in that streaming future, uh, I don't like it. But uh, yeah, I, I I like streaming more than I like movie theaters. Oh yeah, well that's the problem. Hollywood has been deliberately propping up movie theaters, kind of just for fear of what would happen without them. Um, and I think what COVID nineteen has demonstrated is that movie theaters really have been pretty obsolete for a long time now. Like, movie theaters could easily change to be, like, like a specialty venue or, like, you pay for an experience where you sit down, you have a meal, you watch, like, a really artsy-fartsy movie on a big screen, and then you go home with 30 less dollars in your pocket or something. Instead of being a place where, like, Joe Average is expected to go munch popcorn once every month or two, because I don't think that model really works anymore. Yeah, and that's what some theaters are doing, is they have those, uh... Oh, god damn it! what are they called? I think it's Fathom. Where they'll show, like, plays, or, like, foreign films, or, like, uh, riff tracks. I don't know if you know what, I don't know if you know what right. riff tracks is. Vaguely. Uh, it, it's, it's like MST3K. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, why don't you take us to some way less serious or important news? Oh, what do you mean, way less serious or important? This is, this is shit on the front lines of freedom of speech, alright? Donald Trump will probably address this in the coming days. I, he fucking better. Uh, this story dropped on the 2nd of April. It's already, we're recording on the 8th. It'll, be, it'll drop on the 9th, so he's got to step his shit up, man. Yeah, he's got to bring back fireside chats and talk us through this. <laughs> talk us through the controversy of Jill Valentine's classic Resident Evil 3 outfit being turned from a uh, tube top miniskirt combo into a uh, tube top and a scort. Mm. Now, as you can how see... How very dare they. As you can see, uh, by the way I described that, I have no idea how women dress. 
uh, you know, I'm yeah. a gamer. <laughs> so, uh, uh, it's a prerequisite to being a gamer. Yeah. Uh, and speaking of hating women, this article comes from oneangrygamer.net, which, uh, <sighs> unlike niche gamer, I don't endorse <laughs> their weird subversive articles. <sighs> These guys are, uh, it's, it's like, it's like going into a time machine and ending up in 2014 internet where the coolest thing on YouTube was, uh, owning SJWs with facts and logic. Oh man. I loved that. I also loved when the facts and logic made no fucking sense. Oh, that's the best part, dude. If, if you don't think hard enough, you know, facts and logic make perfect sense. Fedora tips the haters away. <laughs> Most of my high school was just me Fedora tipping yeah. haters away. <laughs> God damn it. Alright. I wish that wasn't true, but I saw it, ladies and gentlemen. I think that's why I hate this website so much, because it reminds me of who I was in high school. Yeah. Uh, all right. I mean, just the name is like very. And that too. Yeah. The angry gamer thing is pretty. Is pretty fucking dead. If you're not James Rolfe. So getting into the actual article here, people are upset online because, like I said, they changed Jill Valentine's classic outfit from Resident Evil Three, which was a DLC, uh, like pre-order bonus, which that's a whole other uh, can of worms we can open up. So they turned her skirt into a skirt. Which is a shirt short a uh, skirt short combo. I didn't know that uh, it existed because I don't wear uh, skirts. You say so. <laughs> well, they don't know. I've seen that skirt fedora combo. <laughs> I got my fedora on my head. I got my skirt on my hips. I got nothing else, baby. <laughs> that's, that's I got big one. dreams. <laughs> uh. So yeah, with, with I'm, I'm trying to read this article, but th- this is just such unadulterated cringe. Yeah, it's just it's such pure cringe that I can't not laugh at it. And there's an argument to be made, unfortunately, with this with uh, all these remasters and remakes, uh, people you know changing uh, the games, which is mm. bad because censorship bad. Yeah, and that's the thing with these pe- with these people is that they they have a leg to stand on, but like. I don't like it. <laughs> I I would also it. I would also argue that the whole like censorship bad argument is like very flimsy because I rarely see any real substance put behind it. Like in a in a situation like this, like this is an incredibly minor change to the content of the game that could have been done for any member number of reasons. Like it may have been to be a little more quote-unquote PC. It may have been because they realized the unbelievable impracticality of somebody in a survival horror game wearing a skirt. You know, it could be they just thought it looked better. Or it could be that they realized they couldn't hide what was under the skirt anymore now that they're not on a fucking PS1. Yeah, because there, there's there's a, there's a this tweet from content creator Vera Dark. I don't know who they are. But it says, you know, Jill's Resident Evil 3 pre-order costume is not her original outfit. They changed her skirt to a skort. I guess the ethics yeah. part wins again. Facepalm emoji. Hashtag Resident Evil 3. It's just, I, I just don't get why people are so desperate to be publicly horny on the internet. Yeah, you I know? don't I don't get it. Like, it, back in my day, you hid that shit. <laughs> I, like, I don't, um, I just don't get, like, when, usually when there's arguments about, like, censorship, it's about, like, 
hiding horrific acts of government violence or keeping people uneducated or or like severing communication between groups or something like that. And so I, I find it so frustrating that when it comes to the video gaming community, the most consistent way in which I find the term censorship brought up is in regards to this game is slightly less horny than I would like it to be. Yeah. And, and there's there's like this there's a we're probably gonna get into this eventually if you can see how spirited our debate is here yeah i'm sure it'll be a future episode at some point but there's a difference between like say the um i don't, I don't know about this yet but the modern warfare the call of duty modern warfare 2 remake that has of course uh the rush the level no russian where you gun down an uh, airport full of russians mm-hmm. uh i don't know if they're gonna leave that in but leaving that in that's taking an entire level out of the game. Yeah. Which can be argued is that that's cutting content. You know, yeah. that's... You're, you're, you're paying the same MSRP for the game with less content. Yeah. But in the same vein, it's a mass shooting. Those are... I mean... We're, we're not completely dead to those yet, right? Oh, right. Yeah, but whereas this is like a purely aesthetic choice for like something that was originally dlc anyway correct so like i mean i think i think potentially part of the problem is just the simple fact of like do you expect them in like 2020 to like show you upskirts of her panties like again this isn't a ps1 game anymore you know they uh like and i would argue like when you do that you are like devaluing the character that you're supposed to be like identifying with and rooting for um, I'm sure there are people who would strongly disagree with me on that point, but again, I don't understand why you need your survival horror game to be so horny. Neither do I. You know, on PC, it's easy. You just you can mod someone will mod it back in. There's mods like Resident Evil 2, for example. There's mods. Mr. X can be naked. Uh, Leon Kennedy can be naked. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's you can be as horny as you want on PC. I don't know. I think I think internet culture has just reached this point where various groups of people have become convinced that other groups of people want nothing more than to take everything they love away from them. So whenever anything like this happens, it's immediately ramped up to an 11 and tr- treated as like an offense of the highest caliber. Um, like, I don't know if people think like SJWs are encroaching on their way of life or something. But like it's at the end of the day, my dude, hashtag gamers rise up. It's gamer oppression. Gamers, please don't rise up. It's no, fine. We, we, we had our chance with Joker and nothing happened. <sighs> Bottom line with this, uh, I just want to be able to uh, pet my, my big titty uh, older sister's forehead in Fire Emblem oh, games. God. Oh, God. Save it for the censorship episode. Fine, fine. You're so, you're so fucking weird. All right, Brian, bring, bring, bring this ship back into like a, something... You could argue uh, might be educational. Not even educational. It might be uh, like actual news. Yeah. 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 Okay. So I'm gonna try and blitz through this one. So um, for anybody who doesn't know, the comics industry has been under the thumb of a distribution monopoly named Diamond for a long time. Um, they are the people who print and distribute every single comic that you read. Um, and there's been a weird relationship between, like, Diamond and retailers, and Diamond and publishers, where, like, publishers want to go digital, but and that would be the only way to get rid of Diamond, who kind of 
screws them on a lot of a lot of prices and stuff. But then on the other hand, that would make the retailers collapse. So Diamond's the only thing really keeping the retailers around. But also, Diamond is really like harsh and unfair to retailers. Where like they have a, an absolute zero refunds and returns policy. They make you pre-order ridiculous amounts of books to get variant covers and things like that. Um, Diamond's a problem. And they've only become more of a problem recently. Um, two kind of slightly connected pieces of news. So first of all, Diamond a little while ago, back in late March, um, officially paused their distribution, which, you know, is not the most, like... Like, I can understand why they would do that. Like, comics are not necessarily essential uh, by any means, and having warehouses full of people in the middle of a pandemic is probably not the best idea. But... The problem was that comics is an unbelievably small industry. I think all totaled, if you don't count like what they make off of like residuals and merchandising, I'm pretty sure worldwide it's like an eight million dollar a year industry. It's a drop in the bucket for Warner Brothers and Marvel, or or rather Warner Brothers and Disney. Yeah, and yeah, I would have um, said DC or Marvel, but ah well. Um, but like these companies have always been hanging on by the skin of their teeth, and any little problem creates big waves in the industry and amazingly stores were like learning to course correct and figure their their shit out you know there was all this like curbside pickup and mail order services and you know buying with like credit and receiving the books later to you know support the store um they were, they were adapting in a way that comic book retailers usually kind of don't frankly but then diamond pulls this one and they say that april after april 1st um, no new comics will be printed or published. But they also announced they expect retailers to keep putting forward money for books that they want to receive, and they expect printers to keep supplying the stuff that will be used to produce and distribute the, the, the comics, you know. God damn it, that is... Uh, that's scum and villainy of the highest level. Now, uh, as of April 6th, which is April 8th as we're recording this, um, Steve Jeppe, who is the founder, chairman, and CEO of the company that owns Diamond, has kind of amended this slightly. Um, nothing has changed. So they have agreed to start paying 25% of the amount due to people who they owe money, you know, publishers and etc., I think I think specifically this refers to the vendors who are like supplying paper and stuff like that. Um, uh, this this applies to the yeah the vendors, the publishers, and of course the uh, the local comic shops who order from Diamond. Because, yeah. like we said, Diamond's the only game in in the world that in, in regards to dis distribution of comic books. So basically, the vendors will be receiving twenty five percent of the payment that was due to them for I think six yeah it says six weeks and then fought and during those six weeks the remaining 75 percent that's owed to people will be deferred um, and then eventually supposedly that will be slowly paid out over a 13 week period yeah that, that's the way it was laid out is like after the after the six weeks of 25 percent of what's owed yeah uh, over the next 13 weeks it'll be the rest of that 75 percent paid out piecemeal Right. Uh, in in what's probably the the shittiest deal that I've heard of in a long time. 
Yeah, and they're they're justifying it by saying, well, we had to close all of our locations, and we're the the executives are taking large pay cuts, and et cetera, et cetera. But the fact of the matter is, they're still holding retailers accountable, um, and like basically everybody's paying them, and they're barely paying anybody. Um, and they can kind of afford to do this because a large chunk of the comics industry would collapse if Diamond went off it, went under, you know. Um, so. Uh, who knows if we'll continue to update on that, um, but it's pretty fucked up. It really is. It, it, it's it, it's a travesty, and, and if you're any sort of comics person, then you, you already know all this. You already know that Diamond is, like, uh, this unfortunate... Like, you don't want to deal with them, but you have to, because there's, mm-hmm. no, there's nowhere else to go to. Yeah, well, and, and Brian, wasn't there someone? Wasn't there someone that was gonna start up a different distribution service? Yes, and I, I want to say DC and Marvel both had a hand in it. I could be wrong, but there, there was a, a temporary distribution service that was going to be set up, and it collapsed in less than forty-eight hours. So, like, the comics industry is fucked up beyond belief. They could just go full digital, but there would be an insane amount of collateral damage with retailers. But like, comics yeah, is... that, that'll fuck up, like. Sorry to cut you off there, Brian. I'm really, I'm really passionate about this in a weird way. Just because I'm friends with my local comic shop guy. Yeah, he's a cool guy. I, I fucking love Steve. I, I don't know if he's listening or not, but Steve, I love you and I hope you make it through this. Yeah, mood. Um, But uh, it, 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 I, if I didn't, if I wasn't such good friends with local comic book guy, then I'd be like, yeah, just go all digital. Fuck Diamond. Yeah, that that's the tricky part is like, I am a digital comics reader. I don't like most comic book stores I go into. Our local one's pretty good, um, but a lot of them are not. Um, but then, like, you have to remember the human element of, like, these are people who have poured, like, blood, sweat, and tears into a business for God knows how long, and, you know, it's been an entire career of uncertainty for literally all of them. And, and like, comics is in a weird position kind of unique position where like comics are one of the very few entertainment mediums that can pretty much entirely be done from home nowadays like everything is done on the digital level it just happens to be printed physically um but like the writing the 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 drawing the coloring the you know the actual editing stuff all of that stuff can can be done from home so like theoretically comics could be rushing in to fill a void that's been left by you know hollywood shutting down but uh, the this complicated situation with retailers and Diamond makes that a problematic proposition. Um, that said, though, there has been talk of finally breaking the longest ever uh, rut between uh, Marvel DC crossovers, um, which is exciting. Um, there's been talk. Really? That, there's been talk that to try and revitalize the industry and get people into stores that they might finally do another crossover for the first time since i think like 2005 maybe maybe even a little earlier i'm not sure the last time they crossed over but hell yeah that sounds great yeah anyway sorry if i like butchered any of that or or misrepresented any of that although i i have like a surface level understanding of the whole diamond issue it doesn't go much further than that but i thought it was important to talk about hey it's future dakota brian and i had a whole segment on the ezra miller controversy but keeping that in would have kept us uh, in this new segment for another 20 minutes. So instead of subjecting you to two fat nerds talking about a skinny nerd chokeslamming a woman, uh, here's the main topic. So, 
Uh, today's topic, like we said before we got into the uh, batshit insanity that is uh, nerd news right now, it's all about a little-known uh, company that made some, uh, some uh, you can call them video games, you can call them interactive stories, it depends, called Telltale Games. Yeah. Yeah, just right up top, uh, I don't know, it's, people are still doing the whole, like, Telltale style, but I hesitate to say that, like, you know, it's, it's as prevalent as it was when they were at their height. Yeah. Like, ten years ago. I don't think it's even close. No. Like, you've got, like, the Stanley Parable, and you got Firewatch, and you've got... Uh, Life is Strange, I guess, for a, for an older kind of example. But Telltale Games really pioneered the whole interactive story, or walking simulator if you want to be pedantic about it, <laughs> style <laughs> of, uh, of video game. And it, for a good reason. They were really fucking good for a while there. For a hot minute, yeah. God, probably eh, about six, seven years, they were really fucking hot. And, well, we'll get into what happened. So, starting off, I've, I've cut this up into four different things here. This first one is the Rise of Telltale Games, also known as the point-and-click adventure years, mm-hmm. from about 2004 to 2010. So, Telltale Games, uh, of course, is a game company. They were created in July 2004 from former LucasArts developers uh, Kevin Bruner, Dan Connors, and Troy Melander. LucasArts... I'm sure you've heard of them before. Uh, they, they used to make some, some video games. Yes. But before they got into uh, sick-ass Star Wars Battlefront games, uh, they are making sick-ass point-click adventure games, which, uh, of course, there's your, your Monkey Island series is their most uh, famous one. Uh, I'm trying to think of any... Uh, oh, Maniac Mansion is another one that's uh, that's kind of famous. But more importantly, they, they were the pioneers of the adventure-slash-point-and-click uh, genre, along with Sierra Entertainment. Like I said, Telltale was formed out of uh, what LucasArts and Sierra kind of were. Just a quick rundown of what happened to both Sierra and uh, LucasArts. Because, you know, that's what we call foreshadowing here in the business. Sierra Online went through a bunch of different holding companies and uh, parent companies. It went from uh, CUC Software, C-U-C Software. (laughs) that's That's not a joke. The Soy Boy Software. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it was Sierra Entertainment was Sierra Online. It's interchangeable. Mm-hmm. Uh, they created you know King's Quest, uh, Space Quest, Leisure Suit Larry. Uh, if you know about that at all, yes, I do. It's a fascinating yeah, so they, franchise. Yeah, it really is. It's still going apparently. Yeah, it is. They just dropped one like last year. But uh, yeah, it's that. It's, it's all. They're all built in that in that vein not the vein of Lucas Shoot Larry of course but like the same the same general style and eventually they got bought up by Vivendi Software which were a decent company for a while which they got eventually bought up by Activision Blizzard which isn't a uh, decent company no fuck those guys no not at all fuck uh, Blizzard uh, and LucasArts of course was started you know by George Lucas of course with Lucasfilm and everything uh, they eventually got bought up by Disney with everything else and now there's a shell company they're basically just a name for uh, Disney's in-house developers to release games under. Hmm. AKA, you know, it's a company in name only. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Remember that. That's going to be important in uh, in about four or five paragraphs here. Such good foreshadowing. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm really good at this. So, 
getting back to what I was getting at here, uh, Telltale founded from the ashes of these giants of the point-and-click uh, adventure game industry, you know, because they wanted to keep doing their thing, and Sierra and LucasArts were like, nah, we're gonna fucking make Star Wars games and, like, first-person shooters and stuff. That was wise. It, yeah, for them, yeah, in, in the end. Yeah. Uh, the name Telltale was selected by Bruner as the as the three guys that started it kind of envisioned themselves creating more adventure games but de-emphasizing the uh, the puzzle elements in favor of you know, more narrative stuff of course it's an interactive story it's you know telling a tale if you will right yeah yeah basically what they wanted to do is they wanted to kick off with stuff that they already liked and they already used so they uh, wanted to create a Sam and Max game which they had done some Sam and Max stuff before. Mm. I don't know if you know anything about Sam and Max, but they're they're a comic series that is mostly famous for these kick-ass Telltale games. Right. Yeah, I'm vaguely familiar with them. I've got all three seasons of the Telltale Sam and Max games on Steam. Uh, shit's fun as fuck. It's the easiest way I could say it. They're fantastic. It's fantastic stuff uh, throughout Telltale's library here. And the way that Telltale kind of crafted these early games, and really every game... Uh, is with uh, what we call the Telltale Tool, which is originally like the Telltale Games uh, engine. It, was, it had a worse name mm-hmm. before. Uh, the Telltale Tool, basically, like I said, was a proprietary game engine developed by Telltale. Uh, it, it just it, it worked with whatever they were trying to do with their games, which was you know telling stories and everything. Uh, these these first run games from like 2004 to 2010 are really some like some real gems underneath. Uh, you know, all, all the, obviously the stuff that everyone knows about Telltale is The Walking Dead, The Wolf Among Us, and we'll get into all the shit that, everyone got a fucking Telltale game for like three years straight, it was weird. Yep, and unsustainable. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, we'll get into that. A lot of the early stuff was, a lot of niche, there was a lot of, of course it was niche stuff because it's a brand new company and they're not going to get those giant IPs right out of the gate. So they're making, they're mm. making games like Sam and Max, uh, they made games, they made a bunch of... CSI games, which is interesting. I haven't played those. Wasn't there wasn't there a series of Back to the Future games as well? Yeah. And the Back to the Future games is it's the first uh big IP for Telltale. So okay. before that they were working like I said with Sam and Max, Wallace and Gromit got a few games. At least <laughs> at least <laughs> one. Wallace and Gromit's fucking Kino. Good shit. Uh Homestar Runner, which will be a future topic on the show at some point, because that's something near and dear to my heart. Probably my favorite Telltale game is Strong Bad's Cool Game for Attractive People. Yes, that's the full title. I like it. Yeah, it's it's super fun. It was it was written, and that's the thing with Telltale is that is that their adaptations of games are really really faithful to the the original like interpretations of the source material. Like for SBCG Four AP, they worked with the the brothers Chaps, what they're called, Mike and Matt Chapman, who created Homestar Runner. They worked with them to craft the the game and the writing and everything, and, and it drips with classic Home Runner stuff. It's 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 a it's a love letter really, and like like getting ahead of myself a little bit with the Walking Dead games, which was their big breakout. They worked closely with Robert Kirkman. Yeah, and it, it was much more based on the comics than the show. Which that, the Walking Dead is weird. They got the TV universe and the comic universe, and they got this weird Telltale universe. It it all splits off. Kirkman's involved in all of them, but it all splits off. It's it, it's, it's a whole fucking thing. Yeah. So, Brian, I've been rambling a whole lot about uh, Telltale so far. 
you have any experience with uh, with the Telltale games? Uh, my experience, um, as I imagine is the case for most people, kind of starts and stops with The Walking Dead. Yeah, that's kind of the issue. I saw some of them. I- some of them I experienced via, like, YouTube, like The Wolf Among Us I never personally played, but I watched a couple different playthroughs of it online. And I would argue that's one of the downfalls of this model of storytelling, is that, like, when you're when the draw of your game is that it's an interactive story, then you can just go watch somebody else do it online. The experience is, is not in the gameplay, it's in what you're seeing and what you're hearing. But uh, I will say the first two seasons of The Walking Dead game were stellar, there's some really, really strong storytelling going on in there, and I like that they found a way to make it feel very distinct from the show and, and the comics. Oh, definitely. Despite bar, you know, despite having so many of the same influences, including Robert Kirkman. Now, I get the impression you were uh, aware of and playing Telltale games long before The Walking Dead. Uh, yeah, just only through uh, the Homestar Runner game. Is before that I had. No okay. idea, but and like like after that, I I did eventually go back and I bought like I said I bought all three seasons of the Sam and Max Telltale games. Uh, I bought all the, mm-hmm. I bought the Wolf Among Us. I bought uh, all the Walking Dead's. There's a lot of games you can get for free, which again is part of their issue. Right, Just a bunch yeah. of them were given away on like PlayStation Plus and like Xbox and everything. Mm-hmm. Like you know, free game this month is like uh, Batman. Yeah, which was really good. So are you a fan of, of their style of like game design? Are you a fan of the point and click, you know, interactive story stuff? Or I am. I, I really am. Telltale for everyone basically. If you weren't born in the time where Sierra and Lucas are still making these point and click adventure games, you know, Telltale is the point and click kings. Yes, they are. For me, you know, I I overall do like the the Telltale model. You know, I I've one thing that I complain about a lot on this podcast is that I do not like story-driven games, but Telltale is this kind of weird, like, like Pac-Man physics example where, like, you go so far in one direction, you come out the other side, you know? <laughs> yeah, I know like, exactly what you're talking about there. Like, uh, it is a game that exclusively revolves around story to the point where the way you experience the story constitutes gameplay... And when I'm sitting down and knowing that enjoying a story and having some small amount of agency in that story, like, knowing that that's the point of the experience, um, I think makes, like, I'm much more open to that than a game that, like, makes me sit through cutscenes constantly or makes me fucking follow somebody on horseback for 20 minutes to hear about something I don't care about. Look at you, Red Dead Redemption 2. Ooh, Um, shots fired. Fucking mad at that game. But, uh... You know, so I I appreciate that they were like, okay, what if it's just barely interactive enough that we can call it a game, but the gameplay's really not the point here. And I will say that sometimes creates an issue in the sense that, like, in the Walking Dead games, a lot of times when they make you do gameplay stuff, it almost feels a little, like, silly or pointless. Like, shooting zombies in uh, in those games was never refined or interesting in any way. Yeah, it was basically a shooting gallery, for lack of a better term. Yeah. Yeah, and like not one with a, I hate I hate this term, but one that didn't have particularly good game feel. It was just like click the mouse, click the mouse, click the mouse. Okay, story time. Yeah. So with what Brian said there, uh, we're gonna jump into the next part of what I have on the outline here. 
which is the Golden Age, aka the Interactive Story years. Uh, the originally Telltale game stuff was it was your generic, your not generic, but your standard like point and click adventure. It wasn't like these story driven kind of elements like like it would become with The Walking Dead. Yeah, it wasn't like you were controlling a, a TV show. Yeah, they they were at arguably they were they were quote unquote actual games. <laughs> but the golden years for Telltale here for like 2010 to 2016, this is mm-hmm. when they took off. This is after after like all the niche stuff. They got the Bone games out. They got uh, CSI games out of the way. They got Homestar Runner stuff out of the way. A couple really good poker games actually like. Poker Night at the Inventory 1 and 2 are both fucking solid-ass games. I'll take your word for that one. Yeah, you, you, you gotta be into, like, card game video games. But the, the spin they had on it was, with the Poker Night games, they had, like, different characters from different franchises. Like, in the first one, it was Strong Bad from Homestar Runner. It was uh, Max from Sam and Max. It was... One that they didn't have a license to, but it was just a weird addition was uh, Tycho. Remember Penny Arcade? Vaguely? Yeah, one of the Penny Arcade guys was in it. Okay. Yeah, and like Poker Night 2 had like Brock Sanson with Venture Brothers, uh, Claptrap from Borderlands, uh, GLaDOS from Portal. Okay. And like, it's Sam from Sam and Max. Mm-hmm. And, oh, and uh, Ash from uh, Evil Dead. Fascinating. Yeah, so it, it's, it, 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 that's, that, you're playing poker with these guys. That's the whole gimmick, and it's, it's really fucking fun. Like if you're into, of course, if you're into virtual poker games. But like I was saying here, right around this time is where uh, they blow up. Like they really get popular. They get licenses to Back to the Future and Jurassic Park. Right. And uh, notably, uh, Jurassic Park Telltale game is where we got like the quick time events, and we got like the big like interactive story stuff, which that okay. those become uh, huge parts of Telltale. From then on. Right. Yeah. The the, the bedrock of, of Telltale, yeah. Yeah. There's also a Law & Order franchise at some point in 2011. I never played it. I don't really care. Yeah, I don't care either. I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure it's fine. It, it's prime Telltale. I'm sure it's great. It, it would have been a nice little, like, note here. Is that they did eventually get a license to develop a King's Quest game. Which mm-hmm. is one of the original, like, Sierra Online titles. Yeah. Which would have been a nice like love letter to that, but Activision took the rights back in 2013, and we got a King's Quest game eventually from the Odd Gentleman in 2015. You know, just uh, it would have been it would have been nice to have them develop that, just because yeah, they're obviously so passionate about this style of game. Mm. But it's Activision. Fuck Activision. Yeah, I hate those guys too. Well, and this is where we get into like like I said, the really super popular shit. This is where Walking Dead comes in, mm. and that game was super fucking popular. Like it blew up. Yeah. It made the company the most money they'd ever made. It won Spike's Video Game of the Year award, which was a thing back in the day. Fucking Spike TV. Yeah. It was um it was a it was a big deal with good reason, you know, like we've already said, like it was a it was a really solid story with like characters you were legitimately invested in. Um, especially season one. Um, yeah, I, I I could still go back and play season one again because that 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 is like that's really the peak of the Telltale style. I mean, it's just a it's a it's a good like study into like how to tell a certain kinds of stories well. Like 
that is a sad, heartbreaking story, but it, it never feels like overbearingly depressing, really. It's like, you know, you, you, you are left with something after the fact, and you, you're made to really bond with the characters before all this tragedy strikes. So, yeah, it, it's a really well, well done season. I think it's, it's five episodes. And, uh, and yeah, that, that's that's what all the Telltale games are. They're all five episode like yeah. seasons, and they're released episodically. They're released digitally, which is an interesting thing. Telltale didn't do like physical releases until around right. this around this time. Right. Uh, they started to put games out on console. Uh, but they're yeah they're all released digitally. They're all released episodically. So you play episode one of the Walking Dead game leaves on a cliffhanger. You're like oh fuck, now I gotta wait like a month for the next one to release. Yeah, and sometimes their schedule started to slip and people got mad. Yeah, but just one thing I wanted to note here. If you want the perfect representation of the Telltale style and just how fucking good Telltale games were at one point, they go back and play Episode 2, Season 1 of their Walking Dead game. I was just going to bring up Episode 2, man. It's so fucking good all these years later. I've played, I've played through it like three or four times. Episode like the whole season, but episode two is constantly a highlight. It's yeah, it's such a, it's a self it's a self contained story kind of yeah, in, in, in a sense. But it, it's such a good fucking story. Well, episode one, you know, people liked it, but episode two was the one that like got people's attention and I think really helped solidify the popularity of the rest of the season. It's it's a really well told story. There's a lot of really creepy suspense going on and. Something that I find really fascinating about it is, like, you know, the Walking Dead comics had already been popular for quite some time, and the show was had just recently risen to popularity, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, this is, like, season two, I think, of the mm-hmm. TV show is when the game comes out. But to my knowledge, the game did cannibalism first for The Walking Dead. Um, I don't think the comics had addressed it yet, and the show didn't address it until, I think, season four. So, like, even while, like, Walking Dead was insanely popular and you had the comics over there and the, and the TV show over there, it was interesting to see the games bringing something to the table that the other two still hadn't. You know, it really, I think, yeah. really validated um, the existence of the games that, like, yes, we can have three ongoing Walking Dead properties, and yes, the Telltale games are capable of doing new and interesting stuff in a competent way that, like, justifies their existence, you know? Yeah, it, the it really put Telltale. On the, I can't, I can't stress enough how this put Telltale on the map. Oh yeah, yeah. And of um, course, it, that's what everyone knows. Telltale Four is the Walking Dead game. Um, episode two was the one after watching a video of it. Despite having watched a video of it and knowing like the twists and turns, that was the one that made me go out and and buy like the season pass for for the game. Because um, it, it's like it is riveting. It is really really good storytelling. It's it's prime shit. It's even with even with the giveaway that they they end up on a farm. Uh, hey, holy shit! These guys are cannibals. That's the, that's how living so well out here. Mm-hmm. Even with that twist and everything, it's such a well told story mm-hmm. that it, it it fucking it plays like a horror movie almost. It, it it's it's just I can't sing the praises enough. I would say. Based on what I've experienced, that's probably the best thing Telltale's ever put out. That single episode of of The Walking Dead. Um, I don't oh, think easily. I don't think the subsequent seasons of The Walking Dead even came close to that. Um, and although although I think seasons one and two of The Walking Dead are good, um, I think that 
you know, even amongst the episodes of season one, that episode stands out. Yeah, all the all the Telltale Walking Dead games are good. Of course, mm-hmm. that, that's their bread and butter. That's that's their major franchise. Mm-hmm. But season one, episode two stands head and shoulders above everything else. It's just it's it's like a master class in like seeing like how you can make everything go to shit like one thing after another in a way that's like exhilarating and riveting like you know you obviously have the big twist that oh god they're cannibals but then like later you're in prison and like the guy with the heart condition that was established in the previous episode starts raging out and has a heart attack and then he dies so that's like a conflict unto itself but then people are arguing over whether or not they should kill the guy before he comes back as a zombie all while you're still trying to like orchestrate your escape like there's always something happening and it's always like accumulating to something more nothing feels like it's like a throwaway and i would also applaud that episode for like really like getting me emotionally invested there's a moment where as you're slowly like overcoming the cannibals you have an option to either kill or spare one of them in front of clementine um actually a couple of them i think and they're like there's choices for all of them in which you can kill them or spare them yeah, some of them are pretty gruesome, like pressing a dude up to like a, an electric fence or, you know, stabbing yeah, him. You with shove a, a guy into a pitchfork and he fucking bleeds out. Yeah, um, and they're clearly like challenging you. Like, are you going to indulge in your darker impulses? But like, you like I was like the first time I played through it, I I was like, fuck yes, I'm killing these guys because I'm like angry. Like they yeah, fuck them. They did this so well that like I'm I'm legitimately sitting here like these fictional characters deserve to suffer. They should be punished. You know. Yeah, like, even now, nine years later, I'm like, yeah, fuck those guys. Mm-hmm. Or, or the moment when Lee runs down, the, runs down the stairs and says, don't eat the meat! And you can see that, like, a couple of the kids have already eaten some, and... Yeah, it's a, it's a very visceral and uh, exciting episode. I really love it. It's so fucking good. And that, that's, unfortunately, that's probably the height of Telltale. Like, yeah. uh, The Wolf Among Us is fantastic. It is. Uh, it, it made me go and read uh, the Fables books. Mm-hmm. They're, they're comic books, so I, I've been slowly finding Fables like comic books and getting into because the, the Wolf Among Us is, is a prequel to uh, the Fables books, so right, you don't have to know anything to go into. Everything is explained there, right? Which is the best way to do these kind of things. Well, The Wolf Among Us had its own way of kind of, like, finding iconicity. You know, like, The Walking Dead, uh, particularly Episode 2, did it just by having, like, a really riveting and shocking story. But um, The Wolf Among Us really ramped up the, like, fun of the, like, action commands and the and the choice, uh, the choices that are available to, to you. You know, Glass Him is, like, probably the thing people remember about Telltale till the end of time. That's why it's the title of this episode. Yeah, like, when I hear Glass Him, you know, it's funny because at the time, nobody knew what the fuck that meant, which is why it was so, so shocking, but the phrase Glass Him will be burned into my mind forever because of that game. And, like, that, that, that right there, that kind of time with The Walking Dead, Season 1, Season 2, and The Wolf Among Us, that is kind of the high point for Telltale, unfortunately. Yeah. Because after that, we get into, uh... It, it's a weird... I have it split up. This is... Part 3 is the end. Like, 2016, 2018. Mm-hmm. But I, I kind of walk it back a little bit. Probably, like, 2014-ish. Okay. They they start making games for fucking everything. Too many. I, 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 I'm just going to throw a bunch of names out there right now. Uh, Batman got two seasons. 
Guardians of the Galaxy got a season. Uh, we got Bor- we got a Borderlands game. We got a Game of Thrones game. There was gonna be a season two, but we'll get to that. Uh, Minecraft, Minecraft story mode. Yes, that that one took people off guard. I remember. Everything, everything you could think of got a fucking franchise. Stranger Things got a franchise at the end. They got a fucking game. That one I don't remember. That must have been after I checked out from uh, from Telltale. It's after most people checked out, if I'm being honest. It it's it's just so many games got made because I I have a list of Telltale games pulled up here, and I'm not I'm not gonna drop a bunch of titles just because that's you know really long and rambling and I'll I'll stumble over my, over my words like I am already. Mood. But yeah, looking at just a Wikipedia list of Telltale games, they're putting out two or three games a year from like 2005 yeah. to. 2018 2019 ish it was it was it was every time it was two three games a year and of course it's you know five episodes of a game and Mm -hmm. you gotta account for all the the branching story paths which we can get into on that as well as quote unquote branching story paths yeah so there's a lot of work going into these games and that's kind of the downfall of telltale is there's so much work going into so many games is that they couldn't yeah. innovate like they did before. Right. Well, I would also argue that their model deva- demands like a certain amount of like creativity and innovation and 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 really diligent hard work. Like if your whole story is about having many narrative branching paths for every game, um, that requires a shitload of time and effort and thought. And then they decide to put out as many a year as they possibly can. Like, they tried to turn, like, their formula was specifically, like, was, by design, their formula was poorly suited to, like, a conveyor belt approach, but then they went for the conveyor belt approach anyway. Yeah, it, it's, it's all just, it's complicated. It's, and I'll get into that as well, because I have stuff pulled, I have a Verge article pulled up, talking about how, like, the toxic management, the long working hours kind of killed Telltale. Uh-huh. What I'm getting at is always three or four games a year, so it's constant, grueling work. Right. For everyone, you know, the developers, the uh, the writers, the the art directors, all everyone is working. Yeah. From studying for this Verge article that I'm reading, it's like twenty hour days, hundred hour weeks. It it's it's constant crunch time at Telltale. It's it's just it's it, it was unsustainable, really. There's been a big conversation for years now about like how video game uh, devs are taken advantage of by the industry. Um, And Telltale was, like, a centerpiece of that discussion at the time, and I think it will be one for years to come. They they were really emblematic of, like, many, many problems that were rampant in in the gaming industry, and probably still are, frankly. Yeah. Uh, Game developers are abused in the same way that uh, Rough Draft Studios is in animation. Rough Draft Studios is a South Korean animation firm, and Mm -hmm. they do work for fucking everyone. Like, if you're watching a TV show at some point, any kind of animated TV show, uh, you're going to run into a Rough Draft Studios work at some point. They're ubiquitous with uh, animation. And Mm -hmm. they work them like dogs. And I'm not trying to be racist there. That's yeah. just there's constant, like we said, the Verge article is 20 hour days. It's 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 
it's disgusting, really, how, like, game developers and, like, animation studios, like, the workers there are just uh, pushed to the breaking point. Yeah, animation has many of the same problems as an industry that video games do. And with that, that, that kind of gets into what I'm getting at with the end of Telltale, because this is where shit uh, just kind of goes off, not in a good way, just because uh, like in 2015, Dan Connors leaves as CEO, they put Kevin Bruner in, he lasts two years, they bring in Pete Hawley, who was the former CEO of Zynga, which made a bunch of Facebook games. Oh, good. Yeah, he was brought in to turn him around. Uh, spoiler alert, he didn't. He did not. In twenty late 2017, they they fired a bunch of people. They cut, like, 90 positions, which is, like, a quarter of their staff. Mm-hmm. Trying to, like, restructure. In September 2018, uh, Pete Holly announced that Telltale was undergoing a, quote, major studio closure. With 90% of its workforce got let go that day, in September 21st. Mm-hmm. Uh, a skeleton crew of yeah. like 25 guys stuck together just to complete the stuff they had. They had to complete uh, the Walking Dead final season. They had to, I think they had to complete Minecraft story mode. They're bringing that over to Netflix, now, which is a weird thing. That is weird. Was the Walking Dead? Um, is there a season four? Was there a fourth and final season, or was it season three that got interrupted? It was season four that got interrupted because there was the Walking Dead. Walking Dead Season 2. It was a Walking Dead Michonne game, I think, was Season 3. There was, um, but there was a Season 3 that, like, followed Clementine as well. Oh, maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Maybe, maybe Season... Th- maybe that maybe that is Season 3, then. There there was a Michonne miniseries. I can't... I think there may have been a Season 4 of The Walking Dead. I don't remember. There was a lot of Walking Dead. We'll just say that. Yeah. But, yeah, the studio closed uh, in, tw- in 2018... They all got laid off. It's it's a disgusting setup there because those who got let go had no warning. They had 30 minutes to get their shit and get out. No one got a severance package. Barely anybody got uh, healthcare benefits. Right, and and this was after this was after the like hundred hour work weeks or whatever. Yeah, this is this is right week. in this is right in there like big crunch time like yeah cranking out this three was four on projects of- at a time. It, on top of essentially being, like, whipped and abused every day, all of a sudden you just get dumped like you're nothing. Yeah, um, it's, it's a horrible setup at, at the end. Very big controversy. And that, that's really it. Uh, there There is the final part, which I guess is what I, I titled The Unend, a.k.a. Going the Way of Your Forefathers, which, hey, that's that, uh, if you stuck around long enough for this, this is that payoff. Uh, Telltale Games... Mm-hmm is currently owned by LCG Entertainment, which is a holding company. I don't know what they do. They I got holding companies, I guess they just buy up like expired licenses. Like you mm-hmm. know how you know how like Toys R Us is back, quote unquote? Yeah. Quote unquote. Uh, they're it, yeah, it's just it's they're owned by a holding company and they're trying to like get back into the market. But L- LCG Entertainment front test purposes is now Telltale Games. They're doing business as Telltale Games. Right, and they released a uh, a press release that says they were coming back to reissue select back catalog and new installments of beloved IPs, which was them finishing mm-hmm. uh, Walking Dead final season. It is them that's creating the uh, Wolf Among Us two, which right. any which, which I was excited for until I can't believe they didn't do that sooner. Yeah, exactly, everyone yeah. was looking for it and never did it. 
it, it's it's unfortunate because I really I really want a, a Wolf Among Us two, but at the same time, it's just a shell. The company's a shell of its former self. Nobody that originally worked at Telltale is still there, I believe. Uh, mm. The the big thing that was in the news for a while with the Telltale revival was that people who had worked at Telltale originally they they weren't given their jobs back, but they could apply for freelance positions. Yeah, which is like one step above an internship. It, it's 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 garbage. You don't get a lot of rights or benefits that way. Yeah, it's a real slap in the face for all these former Telltale staff. Who, again, had been slaving away under horrible conditions for years. Yeah. yeah. So it, it's a really unfortunate end to uh, what was, at least in our opinion, one, one of like the, the better gaming companies around. Uh, it was certainly an interesting little moment for gaming, um, and I did really enjoy their style of game. The only problem being, as we've kind of alluded to here, is that, like, they had a good thing, and then they built a completely unsustainable model around it. Like, they should have known when they were failing to... Like, when they were failing to stick to their monthly schedule for The Walking Dead Season 1, they should have known that they could not be putting out three such games a year every year um, with increasingly high-profile properties. They just... They oversaturated their own market. You know, nobody was doing it better than they were. Everybody was interested in Telltale games, but they just kept putting out content before people had time to consume it yeah um, like i said they're putting out that, three or four titles a year right and this is five part seasons you know this is each thing that you sign up for is an investment you know you're going to be playing it for the next five months or realistically much more with delays so for me like i loved telltale and i loved the walking dead and the wolf among us but i very quickly reached a point where i realized i was never going to be able to play all these games like, there was a time when, like, I don't know what the hell The Wolf Among Us was. I, I, I was interested in it because it was Telltale. But, like, then when you do, like, Borderlands or Guardians of the Galaxy or Game of Thrones or Batman, like, you reach this point where there were properties that I were interested that, in that I just didn't have the time or the care um, to invest myself in um, because it's just too much. And I knew that they could not stick to their release schedule, like, ever. Yeah, it's... Like, like, that's a great way to put it, honestly. That's that's what Telltale did. They saturated their own market. Is they created uh, demand for their style of game, and then flooded the market with, ironically, their own style of game. I would also argue there. We said we were going to talk about this. There was a problem in the way they approached storytelling, because while the branching paths thing was interesting. Even by the end of the first season of The Walking Dead, it was very apparent that the decisions you were making really weren't changing anything. The most impactful thing was, in season one, based on how you behaved, people would be nicer or less cool with you, you know? Yeah. But even, like, at the end of season one, you might remember, based on how you treat all of your companions, you can either wind up facing the final task completely by yourself or you can have as many as like three or four people with you having those extra three or four people does not affect the gameplay in any way or you know lee gets bitten and you have a choice to either cut off the arm or leave it i'm pretty sure yeah it does not matter what you do you die either way yeah i i think the i, I think there is a slight difference in that if you don't cut off the arm you can like two hand um, or you like you like dual wield weapons later? Yeah, you later, dual wield like a hatchet, uh, which a piece is of glass. It's just pretty badass. Yeah, you and just that, going through chopping up zombies. 
yeah, it's an awesome moment. But also, like, that's an example where, like, doing the logical thing does not reward you in any way, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but I don't like that it became a pattern with all of their games. That, like, no matter how long and hard you think about how you interact with the game, the game wants to give you specific outcomes. Oh, all right. Uh, that That's basically the story of Telltale Games. Uh, I hope this didn't completely suck. Just, uh, just because it, it's it's weird for me, I guess to to carry entire episode. I hope it didn't suck too much. I'll fix it in editing. <laughs> it's a uh, it's one of our more like informative based episodes that we've done, and, that, and that, that's okay. You know, um, we I think we would like to continue to do these more informative style episodes, and hopefully we'll figure out like a balance over time of how to keep it entertaining while also informing you um i think you did a great job dakota oh thank you brian it was this was good work and you did put a lot of time and research into it which is very cool i, I hope it came very off very cool i hope it came off like that in the episode because i don't believe this in or not but i'll be honest with you right around the time i was talking about like sierra online and, and uh lucas arts and stuff going off in those tangents i'm like oh man i've already stretched way too thin on this this is just me rambling you think so I think it was important important to, not just for the storytelling element, because, you know, hey, there's that fucking payoff you guys wanted, uh, but it it was was a fun way to to kind of frame everything. It's good to look at what the influences were for this influential company. I think in the future we'll make an effort to mix in more discussion about, like, our personal relationship to the topic, in addition to the the informational stuff. Yeah, there's a lot Um, of information... And then it's just Brian out there with his opinions. Yeah. And it's me going off on yeah, facts I, because I have bad opinions. And also, like, it's weird for me to carry an episode. I, I think you're just not used to carrying an episode, and I think you're afraid to express your opinions. Um, it could be which, that. I, knowing what I know about your opinions, I completely understand. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm usually anyway. off in a supporting role with stuff like this, but I'm, I'm glad that I got to... Uh, and I'm glad that I got to wax poetic about uh, this fucking walking simulator click point and click uh, company. Yeah, and uh, with that, I think we'll we'll wrap this up for for this week. Um, apologies for the upload schedule getting a little spotty. The uh, coronavirus thing has kind of complicated our setup a little bit, and um, it's a lot easier to record. We can do it in person. Can't exactly do that anymore. Um, we're going to try and keep our uploads as regular as possible, um, but I apologize if the frequency and quality of the episodes perhaps dips a little bit. Um, yeah, that, that, in, that, that, that's, know, the remain- that's the excuse. That, it's, not, it's not that I'm horribly prepared uh, to actually run a podcast. It's uh, bl- blame, blame COVID-19. Hey man, I took charge of the Animal Crossing episode, and I wasn't super happy with how that one turned out. I the the energy is always lower uh, when we do it remotely, so I'm I'm looking forward to not having to do that anymore. Yeah. Um, but anyway, um, please uh you know leave a like or a review, um, share this around, give us a follow on Spotify or, or Apple Podcasts. Um, we really want to build up like even just a small regular uh, listener base. Um, we would like to do this for the foreseeable future. Um, and I, I know that, uh, if our content got out there more, we would find plenty of people who enjoyed it. So, um, it really helps us out if you do that stuff. Um, We're not in it for the money. We're not, you know, we're, we're, we're not like what podcasts are now, which is 
like I, I keep I keep hearing ads for like a Scrubs podcast done by uh, Zach Braff and Donald Faison. Yeah. Yeah, like yeah, that, that's obviously that's obviously a nostalgic cash grab. It's Office Girls as well, which is like Pam and fucking yeah. Meredith, I think. Angela, Angela, sure. yeah, whatever it is. Uh, but yeah, those are. And I, I don't want to shit on them too much. Well, yeah, just, oh, fuck them, dude. They're already way more popular than we are. Yeah, those are obvious cash grabs. Everyone, is- everyone loves The Office. Everyone, a lot of people love Scrubs. I like Scrubs. Scrubs is really good. But the point is, we're doing this as, as like, a, like a passion project. Uh, yeah. So like. You don't even have to listen, man. Just, just fucking, just, just click the subscribe button. It makes me feel good when I log into the analytics <laughs> and I see whatever, man. Okay, maybe listen. Yeah, please listen. Um, Tell your friends. Anyway, uh, with that very strange outro, uh, I'm Brian. I'm Dakota, and this has been the Food and Life Show. Thanks for listening, dumb hoes. Yeah, please share uh, our stuff. Oh, don't